Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome one and all to the current edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You know, for a lot of reasons related to COVID-19, lots of folks are being forced into major career and lifestyle changes at middle age. Or perhaps you've simply grown tired of what you do for a living, realized that the job that consumes so many of your waking hours is not really what you want to be doing the rest of your life. But I'll bet the career of your dreams wasn't disrupted in your 20s by a soul-crushing series of injuries from practicing too long and too hard in pursuit of your dreams. And my guest today, former University of Pittsburgh and NFL kicker Sean Conley, had one primary career from eight years old through his teens and into his early 20s, and that one job was to become a kicker in the National Football League. And at the time, that job was only open to the best 28 football kickers in the world with hundreds if not thousands wanting to take your place. And uh, due to hard work and unbelievable ingenuity, Sean uh, merited a serious look from three NFL teams but plagued with injuries from practicing too long and hard. His career came crashing down and left him with a haunting sense of failure in his mid-20s. After quitting football, Sean transformed himself into a highly successful pharmaceutical sales representative, only to realize that selling drugs to physicians also was not right for him. In the end, his loving wife, Karen, inspired Sean to try yogurt, where he discovered a path to a profound healing and a new life, and Sean is here to share his story with us today. Along the way, I trust Sean will inspire you to uh, discover the profound benefits of yoga, no matter what your physical fitness or state of mind is today. And before I introduce him, here are highlights of Sean Connolly's remarkable life and career. He fell in love with kicking at age eight, and after playing college football at the University of Pittsburgh, he began a dramatic but abbreviated NFL career with the Detroit Lions, Indianapolis Colts, New York Jets, and finally the Scottish Claymores in Europe. And his pro football journey came at a price. As a result of overtraining, he suffered career-ending injuries. And since taking up yoga, uh, Son has become a highly proficient and is today an accomplished yoga instructor. And Sean and his wife, Karen, own Amazing Yoga, which has three locations in Greater Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Sean is author of the new book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. And hello, Sean. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hi, Roy. It's, uh, it's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to, to, uh, to speak with you and, and your audience. Well, to get started, what made you decide at age eight that you were destined to become a, an NFL kicker? 
<laughs> well, I, I think it started for me at, 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 a, at a really young age. My, my father um, pushed me toward uh, going to a punt pass and kick competition. Oh, yeah. And at, at, at the competition, I, I came in third, which I, ironically, I did, the, you know, the, I did well with the punt, I did well with the pass, and I, I flubbed the kick. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I had to become so much... a passer then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You would have thought, um, but I, I, I just, you know, enjoyed so much kicking, um, you know, at, at that age and, you know, looking back, I discovered one of the reasons why I was, I was really into kicking, um, um, at age nine, I was, I was diagnosed with, uh, ADHD and, and looking back, um, I found like, you know, just, just kicking, going to the field by myself gave me gave me some peace and so I got I got really wrapped into kicking I played other sports but um you know that's that's when it all began and I just you know just kept kicking until eventually my my career ended about 20 years later well it's, it's difficult for a young kid to hone his kickoff and place kicking skills tell us about the field near your home where you kick daily for hours even in the snow <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, so, so I grew up <laughs> Yeah, so, so I grew up in Erie, PA, and, and, and back then, you know, the, the weather's certainly changed since then, but then um, the, it would snow so much, you know, usually we would say, like, once it snows, like in late November, you wouldn't see the grass again until till April. Um, you know, I remember seeing in the newspaper pictures of, 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 of people, like, saying that they walked across the lake to Canada, and so <laughs> so you had no choice. You just had to, had to be, um, you know, make the best of the situation, so there was a field about five blocks from my house and every day I'd go down there and even if it was in the winter you know filled with snow I would just try to clear it and if I couldn't clear it I would just just click off kick off the uh the the snow and ice which actually I think in the long run made made me a better kicker because if I could kick in those conditions and you know someday you know on artificial turf or a nice freshly cracked cut grass field would be uh would be much easier despite your undeniable skill as a kicker your college career got off to a rough start can you describe your freshman year at grove city college where the football coach wouldn't let you try out for the team and then at division three gannon university where in two years you made only five of 16 field goals one of the worst kickers in the nation (laughs) (laughs) thanks for reminding me (laughs) um yeah so when I decided to uh, to go to go to college, my first hope or thought was I was going to try and just go for it and try Division One. But uh, I guess you could say the inner voice got the best of me. I decided that to play it safe, and so I went to a, a small Division Three school, Grove City, which is about an hour south of south of Erie. And I first called the coach, and he said, "Yeah, you know, please come try out. You know, show up for the first day classes, and I'll give you your pads." Well, when I got there. He, for some reason, I'll, I'll never know, but he, he changed his mind, told me they didn't need a kicker. And, um, you know, he told me because I didn't play in high school, he didn't think I'd be a good kicker. So that was it. And I struggled with that for a while. I, I remember, you know, like, you know, drinking a lot back in my dorm room and, and for, for moments, you know, I don't know how long, maybe, maybe, maybe weeks I thought about giving up, but, uh, luckily for me, you know, I moved back home and Gannon University, which didn't have a football team since since World War II, um, one day my dad showed me the newspaper and it said Gannon University is going to start a football team. And I thought, wow, maybe this is this is what I needed was 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 this break, a team that had no players on it. They're starting from scratch. And luckily, the the coach uh, gave me a shot. And the, the two years I was there, um, they were really patient with me. I like like you mentioned, I was. 
I, I missed far more than I made, but I had a really strong leg. The, uh, um, you know, I was, I guess you could say I was like the happy Gilmore of kickers. I could kick the ball like a mile, but, uh, I couldn't hit it straight. So <laughs> I just wonder if the Grove City College coach saw your record as a <laughs> Matt Pitt kicking long field goals, maybe, um, Figured he missed something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I know. I know. I, I saw the newspaper not too long ago. He he just retired, so who knows? <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> well, uh, what prompted you to transfer to Division One for your senior year, and how in the world were you able to convince the Pitt coaching staff to give you a tryout following your less than stellar performance at Gannon? Yeah, well, they, I, I really wasn't able to convince them to, um, you know, like, like be on the team other than what the, the, the most they could, they could promise me, you know, was that they would let me walk on and they would like see what happens. That was, that's, yeah. that's what they gave me. But for me, that was, that was enough. It was, it was just a shot. Um, I knew, you know, Pitt already had five kickers on scholarship, so I figured wow. I'd be starting way down below. Um, they had a couple other walk-ons that were already there for a couple of years. So I was on the first day, you know, they have the depth chart sitting in, in yeah. the bulletin boards as you go out in the field. And my name was way down there. Um, it was seventh or eighth. Uh, but luckily um, the coach, the special teams coach, that is, his name is Amos Jones. who's still a good friend of mine to this day. Yeah. He's um, an assistant coach for the New York giants right now. He, oh, yeah. he, there must've been something in me that he saw and he believed in me. And throughout the, the first time I was on the team, which was spring ball, which started in, in February, um, he moved me from eighth to third. So mm. we, we, we went to summer break and I was third. And so I just had to go from third to first at our training camp in July. And, and luckily I was able to do that right before mm. the, uh, the first game. And I was named the starting kicker actually about a half an hour before kickoff of our first game against Penn state. Well, I know you weren't, uh, you weren't <laughs> uh, chosen in the NFL draft following spring, uh, what brought you in as a free agent? What uh, circumstances brought you to the Lions as a free agent? Yeah, the the Detroit Lions they they called me right after the draft, so I, I was hoping to be drafted. My my agent um, did a really good job for me, and um, a lot of teams that he spoke to before the draft said that they had me really high in their draft board, somewhere in like the top four or five of the kickers. So. Things looked pretty promising, but I was, you know, one of those players who sat by the phone uh, during the draft, and and it never rang other than my father called me and my girlfriend yeah, called me at the time. Very scary <laughs> sitting by the phone on the draft. On the yeah, draft. it's just it's just it's just eerie silence. And uh, you know, luckily for me, what I discovered was the Detroit Lions when they did call me to after the draft ended to be a free agent, they were at the, at a, uh, one of my best games of the season when we played Notre Dame, they just happened to be in the stands and oh. uh, the coach saw something that he liked and, and then gave me, gave me a shot. So very lucky for that. Yeah. And then late in the preseason, your leg strength began to uh, diminish. Well, I guess that was with the Colts later. Mm-hmm. Did you report the injury to the Colts coaches or uh, try to mask injury by taking pills? Why do so many NFL players like you feel pressure to conceal their injuries? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that question. Yeah, I, I, I tried to mask it. You know, the, the mindset at the time, and I believe it hasn't changed much, unfortunately, is, you know, is, you know, to, to top it through the pain. You know, yeah. back in the day, you know, you know, before everything we know now about concussions, you know, they used to just say, 
you know, give you some smelling salts and you, know, you got your bell rung, get back in there. Um, you know, so well, that's, especially in preseason when you're uh, competing for a job on the roster, you don't right. want to miss time with injury. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I, I just figured I, I would just try to just, you know, tough it out. Um, you know, my leg was, was hurting, and I knew my strength was going down, and I went back and forth in my, my head. Should I tell a coach? Should I not? Um, but my, my kicking got so, so weak, I figured I had nothing to lose. And I, I told the coach and unfortunately, you know, he just told me, you know, Hey, you're, you're, you're a new guy. You got to get back out there and just, you know, you know, toughen it up. Unfortunately for me, my body, that didn't, you know, my yeah, body couldn't. it's easy to say, hard so, to do. By the way, exactly. at the training camp, your whole run place kicks was a current college coach. A few of our listeners may have heard of who was that. Oh yeah, um, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, so he <laughs> he he was quite the character, still is. Um, yeah, he looks and, like a, quite a character. <laughs> Maybe he, he some was here great. He'll be to Ohio State, so we get to stick around. <laughs> exactly. What do um, they call you know, feel, the individual nobody in the NFL camp wants to see? A fellow who summoned you on the day you flubbed three field goals with your right. leg injury. The the Turk you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, Nobody wants there, to see the Turk. No one wants to see the Turk. It, there were some funny stories that I heard when I was there. One of them, you know, was, you know, players would, would hide underneath the bed when they thought they were getting cut <laughs> or they would, you know, pretend that they're, you know, doing some stuff in the bathroom. Um, As so, if that uh, would do them any good in the long run. Right. The it was delaying the inevitable. <laughs> right. <laughs> Or the coach would say, hey, son, we caught you yesterday. Why are you still here? <laughs> right, right. When you had a third NFL try with the New York Jets, what unfortunate event occurred in the wind on the third day of the minicamp practice that ultimately ended your career? Yeah, so for for the Jets, and we were, we were up there for training camp, and you know the wind was blowing like right into our faces the way we were kicking, and you know, unfortunately, being a guy who's not on the roster yet, you can't go up to the coach and say, "Hey, the wind's blowing my face. Let's let's kick in the other direction." You know, the the, the kicker that was on the team, he decided that morning, he goes, "Hey, I'm going to just sit this one out today." And you know, the wind, like I said, it was just like fierce. I'm like, "Huh, that's that's pretty smart. I wonder why he's doing that." It was really obvious to me, but you know, that's <laughs> when you already have a job, you you can only lose the job. You know, for a lot of these guys, so I I had a. I had to overcome it, but when the when it's blowing forty miles an hour in your face or whatever it was, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Um, it's pretty difficult. So it didn't help too that that was when my my leg was pretty much falling apart. So yeah, you went to the team doctor and he told you that uh, your hip flexor muscle had degenerated far too much uh, that you could you should quit playing football. I think he said. Exactly. Yeah, he 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 started poking around, and he he said, "I I can't even find your hip flexor." So it was it was a very frustrating injury because it wasn't one you know where I got hit or I fell or anything like that. You know, it degenerated. It was from over kicking. You know, I was very obsessive about um, my training, and that's you know ultimately what uh, led to pre my career ending prematurely. Yeah. Well, during the period of your NFL tryouts, a couple of wonderful events occurred in your life that convinced you there was life beyond football. What were these mm-hmm. events? Well, my my daughter was born when uh, what was amazing when I, when I was with the Colts, and uh, luckily I got to be there when she, when <laughs> when she was born because 
her her due date was like like my first day of training camp for the Colts and being a second year guy I wow. couldn't call and say hey I think I'm can I come in late so uh, luckily she she was induced and it, and it all worked out and I got to see her for a few days before I went off to training camp and and that really did you know that began a shift in me thinking you know maybe this whole NFL dream is not as important as as i yeah. thought you know that there and you was, there also married your your first love karen which i thought was wonderful right. event also well in hindsight what have you learned about your own feel of failure once your nfl career was cut short by injury well i i think for me one of the biggest things i i learned was just to you know, let go of, I, I like to call them like, like if onlys. I know when, when my career first ended, I went through this whole list inside my head, like, oh, if I only train less, or if if I only, you know, tried out for this team instead of that team, or if only I had a, a longer career, I'd be happier, I'd have more money. And, you know, I, I, I spent, you know, a few years in this, in this, you know, in my head going through this, um, this, repeated cycle and yeah, you know for me now only do it could have been <laughs> that's the other right, negative right. thought that keeps crossing one's mind <laughs> right exactly yeah and i think for me now just looking back you know i realized you know i was you know like like sleepwalking after that and i wasn't you know really really in the present moment and you know because my life was still really good at that time and i just i, di- I didn't realize it because i put so much because my for me my identity was you know, I'm a football player and that's who yeah. I'm going to be and that's who I'll always be. And then when that was taken away, it, you know, I spent way too much time in that in that world of regret. Well, perhaps I was fortunate it happened in your 20s rather than in your late 30s like it does for so many NFL players. Although Exi- I guess the average Exi- time in the NFL is only two and a half years. So right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yep, yep, yeah, and exactly. And I, I thought about that too. I think back now. Wow, you know, luckily, it ended when it did because then I was able to move on further. And if I'd have had a longer career, who knows what, you know, challenge I would have had then if I would have had a longer career. Yeah, we don't have time to go into exhaustive details, but can you briefly summarize how yoga practice and philosophy can work for everyone, even football players? Yes, absolutely. It. You know, for 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 anyone, it can it can just help to in, increase their awareness. You know, in terms of like you know, looking back, like you know, as you mentioned, like you know, maybe my career it was a good thing that it ended when it did because I could move on. And I think you know, by practicing yoga and meditation, where you just spend some time, you know, focusing on your breath, being in the present moment, getting out of your head, then it can help you, you know, like rephrase, you know, or, or, or reframe you know, how one looks, looks at things in their life. Like instead of a place of looking at something as regret, now maybe it's looked at with like with gratitude. I like you know, that. how you say you can approach each day as a, rather than saying, if only I make the team, I'll be uh, happy the rest of my life. You can say, I'm happy right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, absolutely. A world of difference. Well, I've heard about it, but I don't really understand how yoga works to bring a new positive attitude and vibrancy into your life. Uh, do you have to be in good physical shape and be nimble uh, to attempt it? Does it work for someone 20 pounds overweight who has neglected to exercise for the past several years? Y- yes, yes. The, the, the nice thing about yoga is there's there's so many different styles, and 
I think sometimes there's that myth out there when we think of yoga, and I, and I fell for this myth too, and that was one of the reasons why it took me a while to get into it until my wife kept poking me and prodding me into it, is that we think that you have to be super flexible, that you have to be a certain age or a certain body type, but really yoga, you know, because it's so vast, that you know, there's all these different styles that you can find a, find a, a style that, that works for you. And it can be a very gentle style or it can be, you know, something that's, that's more active if you're physical, but, you know, for anyone it, it can work. And, and, and also, you know, yoga and meditation are very similar. So, you know, if one doesn't want to do the physical movements, they can, you know, just take up a, a simple meditation practice where they just spend, you know, five to 10 minutes a day just trying to sit they're both practices and just helping increase awareness and just, you know, stepping out of the craziness. You know, for me, when I first got into yoga, it, I thought it was all about the physical and stretching and, and all that stuff. But then the more I did it, I realized, well, it's, it's just a practice of mind. So the older I get, I've, you know, I, I, I have much less goal oriented yoga practice. I just, I just know this is my time, you know, whether it's an hour or half an hour where I just, move my body, you know, how it feels right. And I just focus on my breath and I know I'll feel better. My mind will feel better after, after my yoga practice. I know you're author of a previous book called Amazing Yoga. Does that uh, give people some guidelines of how to get started and that type of thing? Or? Yes. It's, it's more of a, a how to do yoga or how to, to do meditation. It's, it's a very basic book. My, my wife and I, the, the type of yoga that we teach um, we try to focus on making it very accessible and basic, and and you know the the, the book is called a, a practical guide, and so that's that's what we try to do is just try to take out all those those um, you know preconceived notions of you know what yoga you know might be like, and just make it real simple, and so anyone who's never done it before will will find it accessible. I know my daughter-in-law and my niece both are yoga instructors, and neither one is particularly oh, athletic. <laughs> to learn they were instructors <laughs> uh-huh so yeah and it's it's great you know we, we we do teacher trainings um a couple times a year and you know obviously less right now with what's happening but yeah. you know we have people take the trainings anywhere from age you know 18 to uh you know in their in their 70s and oh. that's the beauty of yoga that you know if you take yoga or take a training and, and you want to teach it you can teach it in any sort of way you can make it hard you can make it easy you can make it fast you can make it slow so it's just, it's a very personal practice well before we go i'd like to talk a bit about your latest book the point after uh first let me say as a football fan i thoroughly enjoyed the inside view of the cutthroat world of nfl football and your book is a highly insightful biography with your obsession with kicking a football and how was the support and guidance of your wife, Karen, and the practice of yoga. You grew out of that obsession as a successful business owner and yoga instructor. What inspired you to write the book? Yeah, the, the, the main reason why I wrote it was, you know, I, I really believe in the power of yoga and meditation because how it helped me and how I've seen it help so many people. So when I first wrote the book, actually, I started when I was when I was 42. So it was eight years ago. And the book was just going to be an, a, a, a follow up to my first book. And it was going to be more about a how to yoga and meditation. But about three years into the book, um, that that shifted. I had a friend who's a, a yoga teacher slash writer and editor and she said no 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 i think this what the book really is is your story 
um, which leads to yoga. And for about two two weeks, I, I had to sit with it because I was like, what do you mean? These, these three years of writing and these 300, 400 odd pages that I've I've written, I got to toss away. And she said, yeah. <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> right, throw it away. So I knew she was right. <laughs> so I sat with that for about two weeks, and then I did. I, I Well, I didn't really throw it away. It's still in a drawer because I couldn't bring myself to completely throw it away. It could be a um, third book. <laughs> yeah, that third book, exactly. <laughs> So, so I started over, but she was right. I did. I just, you know, wrote my story and, you know, from, you know, what what she recommended, and just, you know, with the hope that, you know, some other people might be inspired to, you know, not even necessarily take up yoga or meditation, because I believe there's so many ways for yeah. us to find, you know, some inner peace, whether it's just taking a walk in the woods and, you know, just, you know, just stepping away from our hectic lives can give someone some space to. Yeah you know, we're just really be with themselves and that's where they can find some, you know, inspiration, some passion, some compassion to, to, you know, to, 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 to move on to their possibilities and opportunities in life. Where's the best place for our listeners to preview and purchase your book? When after, I know it's not hard to find. Yeah. If they want to, they can, if they go onto my website, seanconley.net, I, I have a whole bunch of links. So if they want to, you know, just get it from Amazon or some independent bookstores. They're on there. Um, it, it is in um, some Barnes and Nobles, but I, Barnes and Nobles, I think, with the, with the challenges of COVID, I think it's a, it's it's moving out, rolling out rather slowly. But if they call their Barnes and Noble or local bookshop, it, it can be it can be ordered. Um, so yes. Let's talk a bit about your amazing yoga facilities in Pittsburgh. You have three locations where folks can sign up for coming sessions. What's the best way for listeners to make contact with uh, your amazing yoga facilities? Yes, they they can just go on to. Yeah, it's 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 amazingyoga.net. Right now, our, our our studios are all closed. We anticipate opening sometime in 2021. But what we are offering right now is is online classes. So there's okay, on-demand so classes. Other places other than Pittsburgh then can do your online classes. Yes, absolutely. So so anywhere in the, in the world right now. So we have people all around the world doing our classes. They can do them live or, or on demand. So we have a, like a subscription base they can do, and there's some free yoga on there uh, as well. So. Well, that's great. Well, in conclusion, I already commented on how enjoyable Sean Conley's book is for sports fans, but I also wish to point out it's a wonderful real-life love story. And what's especially moving to me is how Sean's girlfriend and later his wife, Karen fully supported Sean's dream of kicking a football in the NFL. Then a few years later, Sean supported Karen as she launched her yoga instructor career and founded her own studio. Uh, so, Sean, what's it like working for your own wife as a boss? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it, it, is, it is a lot of fun. I mean, she is she's the inspiration for this and they call her the, they call her the yoga mama. That's, that's, that's her nickname in town. She was one of the, the first people um, to, to open a yoga studio in Pittsburgh many years ago. And she's, she spurred a lot of um, other studios around town, but she is really the, 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 the inspiration. I mean, she really saved me from, from, you know, my, my crazy mind and where I was stuck. And so it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. It's, 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 it's working. 
<laughs> that's great. Also inspiring is this, the description of the birth of each of your four children mm. and the realization that giving birth and raising kids is more fulfilling than just a successful career. And finally, it introduces you to yoga and the wonderful benefits that yoga gives. And by the way, as I mentioned, Sean is author of a previous book, Amazing Yoga, which will give you practical instructions. And thanks to me and Sean Conley for joining us today. Best of success with your new book, The Point After. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you so much, Roy. This, 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 was, this was a lot of fun. This, this, is, this was a joy speaking with you. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, that was a most inspiring uh, interview with Sean Conley, former collegiate and an NFL kicker. And I think uh, you'll agree that one of the most inspiring elements was the support Sean and his wife, Karen, took turns in providing for their spouse's ventures. I was really impressed by that. Uh, He kicking and she yoga. And before we go, I'm going to talk about a subject that the how the strain of the COVID-19 pandemic is putting a strain on so many marriages. And by the way, most of uh, many of the thoughts that I'm going to talk about are taken from an article by Anne Marie Chaker in the August 5th, 2020 Wall Street Journal. And I think we can all agree that even in the best of times, marriage and relationships are hard work. If you don't think so, we'll see in divorce court. But the pandemic has produced a pressure cooker inside our homes, straining even strong partnerships, and experts say likely breaking others. Families are cooped up with spouses trying to work while taking care of their kids, job losses, caring for at-risk elderly parents, arguments over what's safe and disagreements over school reopening and how we should handle those options are all taking a toll. Where there was a crack, there is now a rupture, says Catherine Smirling, a family therapist in New York City. And Dr. Smirling says she's gotten about 20 calls for appointments from couples in the past handful of uh, four months, I should say, compared with a handful in the same period a year ago. And Susan Myers, president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, they must be doing well this time, uh, indicates there's between 10% and 25% increase in divorces in the second half of this year, in divorce filings. And more than one quarter of adults said they know a couple likely to break up, separate, or divorce when the coronavirus ends according to an Ipsos poll of 1,005 people conducted at the end of July. When couples have external stress, it affects how they interact with each other, says Paula Pietranaco, a professor emerita at the University of Massachusetts, who wrote a recent analysis on the potential impact of COVID-19 on marriages for American uh, Psychologist magazine, interactions become less constructive and people are likelier to blame their partner. People spend years regulating their relationships, when to be together, when to be apart, says Richard Weisbord, a family psychologist at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Now quarantines and other disruptions 
kind of scramble all of that. You can't regulate when to be apart and when to be together. Sometimes you confront things that you avoided for many years, he says. Even in the most communicative partnerships, there is more stress. We have a strong marriage, says Courtney Westling, a public school official in Portland, Oregon, but this has not been easy. She and her husband of seven years, Mike, have spent recent months negotiating new workspaces in their home as well as child care for their sons, ages three and five. And before, routines gave them their own separate lives and something to come home and talk about while eating dinner or putting the kids to bed. Mr. Westling, a communications consultant, points out in recent heart-to-heart with his wife, he said, I am doing my best, and it feels like my best isn't very good right now. Is that the way you feel, too? There was a time at the end of the day when you could talk with uh, about some important things. It was, well, that's been tough for you, he says. Now it just feels like everything is tough. And before I go, here are three suggestions on how to handle COVID stress in your marital relationship. The first thing is keep in mind that this is a temporary, unique situation. And when your spouse does something that upsets you, it's easy to veer into blaming him or her on some character flaw. That is not a good sign. Couples that tend to see situational uh, attribution do better. If you have the mentality that this is because of the situation and not your partner, that should be beneficial. It's still the same person you fell in love with and married, and just because you're now in a temporary stress of the pandemic doesn't mean there's a flaw in your uh, partner that you didn't see before. Second, think twice about big relationship decisions during this hard time. White Plains, New York, divorce attorney Leslie Montanil says she's advising potential clients under marital duress to take a step back and pause, recognize that everyone is under added strain, and that a partner's on-the-surface behavior may really be about something deeper. Maybe uh, what you don't recognize is that your spouse is actually anxious about the uncertainty, maybe his or her job or some underlying health issue, and it causes them to act out. But that doesn't mean it's the end of a marriage. That's particularly true in a relationship that had previously been solid, she says. Recognize that we are not living in ordinary times. Well, that's for sure. And the third, and I think this is the most important of all, don't forget to play. The world feels heavy right now, as we all know, and so it is more important than ever to find joy. Take advantage of the added time with your partner to find moments to laugh and have fun. And if those moments don't come to you, make them. You need to create moments of play, says Catherine Smirling, a family therapist in New York City, Go out for a run, listen to a podcast together, and hopefully this podcast. <laughs> and spend time in nature. Play is not only how children learn, but it is also how we refresh ourselves. Creating lighthearted moments together is also a useful tool in reminding ourselves what attracted us to the partner in the first place. 
Remember that this is the same person, but this is just a short period in time, this pandemic. And that's our program for today. Please don't forget to check out my two books, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engine. Both were written several years ago, but both are still very relevant for today. And you'll find them at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And that's our program today. Talk to you again next week. Stay safe. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.